listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, today we stand between two of the greatest sanctification tools that you have in your life. Sanctification simply means the process that we as believers go through from being wretched sinners, being transformed into a greater likeness to Christ. And we sit between what I believe are the two greatest instruments that are used to transform us into looking more like, into acting more like, into thinking more like our King Jesus. These two things are often filled with great times of happiness and joy, but I know in my own experience it can feel like sometimes walking through a minefield, it can feel like you've been put in a pressure cooker, or even maybe put into those old-timey washing machine uh, things where you'd go through the little spindles and you feel like you come out completely flattened on the other side. But these two things that we stand between are the greatest instruments God uses in our sanctification. Because here's what happens between these two great instruments. We, God uses them to expose our sin, the sin of others, but at the same time gives us an opportunity to show grace and not law. It also gives us ways to practice forgiveness and, and love. And these two things that we stand between are marriage and parenting. So the last three weeks, you got to hear from me three weeks ago, and then, uh, can't remember, maybe Eric Barton and then Ross Strader. Uh, they talked about some different things about marriage. So starting next week, we're going to look at that other sanctification tool of parenting. So we'll look at the idea of parenting between looking at it with the eyes of grace and not law, just like we did with marriage. But today we stand between these two sanctifying instruments. And I think we can often feel discouraged, let down, humiliated. And that we are nothing but failures when it comes to the idea of being a spouse and then being a parent. So today I want to offer us something. I hope it is a great word of encouragement to you in both of these areas. I hope that today will encourage you and inspire you to continue to fight hard for your marriage. I hope it will lift your spirits if you're frustrated in your parenting. And I hope it will give you some encouragement as you balance life between these two sanctifying instruments. So what I want you to do, invite you to the book of John. I want you to find the 17th chapter in the book of John. As you're finding that, I want to give you a little bit of background as we often do. In the book of John chapter 17 is Jesus' last recordings before his public trial, before his public uh, time that he begins before his lonely walk to the cross. Jesus has just ridden into Jerusalem on that young colt. In his triumphal entry, he gathered his closest friends and he washed their nasty feet. And he taught them about serving each other. He was told them that once life apart from him, it is absolutely meaningless. 
in John chapter 17 is often referred to. In fact, your title of that chapter might say the high priestly prayer. Many commentaries that you read, many have said this is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Many of you know I love to read old Puritans. In fact, one of them named John Knox was a Scottish a pastor that led uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, died in Scotland on November 24th, 1572. But uh, at the later part of his life, he contracted a, an illness that eventually took his life. And every day during that illness, he had this high priestly prayer read over him. In fact, it was read to him up until the moments that he died. In fact, the great Martin Luther, about this passage, this is what he says. There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered up by the Son of God Himself. And so today I want us to look at John chapter 17. I debated on whether to do this, but I think it will be beneficial to us. If you will, if you found your place in your Bible on your device... Let's stand, and I want to simply read this passage as John Knox had it read over him day after day. Beginning in verse 1, this is how it reads. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh... To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now Father glorify me in your own presence. With the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested my name, your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now know that they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. That they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them have been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 
And as you sent me into the world, as I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made them known by their name, to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So during this chapter, Jesus prays for three different groups of people. He prays for himself, verses 1 through 5. He prays for his apostles, those that walked with him, that he taught personally. And verses 6 through 19, and then the last seven verses, he prays for the church. So I want us to look at these three prayers this morning. So the first thing that he does is he prays for himself. In verses 1 through 5, you'll see in verse 1, he asks this. This is his prayer. He says, Father, glorify your Son. And then look in verse 5. He says, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. So Jesus, in this prayer, he prays that he would be glorified. But what, what does he mean when he says, Father, glorify me? To glorify something It means to show it to be worthy or to give it praise. But it can also mean to make it fully known. So here's Jesus. He is praying to God the Father. He's coming to the end of his his teaching. He's coming to the end of his time before he will begin that long, slow journey to the cross. And Jesus' prayer is that he would be fully known to all of those. And he says that he wants to be glorified. And so he prays that people will fully know him. That people would ultimately know who he was so that they could then know the Father. So how is he, how is this man Jesus glorified in this? How is his true identity going to be revealed? And there's three things. The first thing is this. He is glorified through the cross. Look at verse 4. He says in verse One, he's coming, he wants to glorify. Then in verse 4, he says, The hour has come, having accomplished the work. So through the cross, this this is what Jesus wants people to see. He wants them to see Jesus is the obedient son. We see through the cross that we know Jesus as that true sacrificial lamb. And ultimately, what he wants people to see through the cross is that it reveals his love For us. Because if Jesus stops short of the cross, something happens. 
If Jesus stops short of the cross, it's going to show that there is a degree to which God is not prepared to go for us. So Jesus wants through the cross that it's going to prove that there are no limits to God's love. In fact, speaking of these verses, Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, God created the universe and saw His Son hanging on the tree of Golgotha, covered with the spittle of those who came to, He came to save, grasping His final breast while the sins of the world were showered upon His pure heart. Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And so the cross is the only way that we see the infinite depths of God's love for us. And Jesus is praying, God, make sure people know this, even if it means me going to the cross. Then in verse 5, he says, glorification, us knowing him, that he is glorified in heaven. He says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. But here's what happens. We can't really know what Christ's beauty and what his glory was like before the world began because we were never there. We know he created the universe. We know he holds it all together. And we know that he had perfect intimacy between the Trinity. But he made himself nothing. He set aside that place in heaven to be lowered himself to become just a feeble creature like us. That he left his place of perfection and harmony. And, but he looks forward to that time of going back to the Father. And Jesus expresses this. So here's what he wants us to know. First of all, he's glorified through the cross that we would know him more. But he's also glorified in leaving heaven. He wants us to know that he is the unselfish Savior. He had everything he could ever want. And he gave it all up. He wants us to know that him leaving heaven... We see Jesus coming and honoring the Father. He said time and time again, Father, your will be done. So Jesus is glorified through the cross. He's glorified in heaven. The third thing is, is, is he wants people to see. He wants to be glorified. He wants people to fully know him. And this is the strangest one. Through the church. He says in verse 2 and in verse 3 to verse 10, he's talking about those that belong to him. How many times did you see where he talks about, you gave them to me, I kept them, they're yours, I'm yours, and he's praying for this. So the last one, I believe, is the most personal and the one that we know Jesus the best. How do you know him? He says, first of all, you should know me in the cross. And the only reason we know that is because we have the words written in his Bible, and we're so thankful for those. We also know that there was this glory in heaven that he had, but we've never seen it. So the most personal way you know Jesus is those sitting around you. He says that he wants to be glorified, that we cannot fully know Christ by the cross because we were not there. We can't fully, we can see a picture of him in the Bible. We can't fully know what he was like in heaven until we finally pass over and see him there. And he says he wants to be glorified in the lives of those that are earthly following him. That he wants to be glorified. The best picture we have of Jesus Christ is his church. And Christ prayed that his church would glorify and it would reveal him to other people. That's why the church needs to be the best at when someone's suffering 
Everybody watching that is going, why are these people always there? When something happens in someone's life, man, people are watching, and they should be wondering, why do these people care about them so much? That through the church, that is how Christ is being revealed. That is how his identity is being shown to other people. So he prays that he would be glorified. He would be shown to other people. But look at what he prays secondly. He prays for himself, and then he prays for the apostles. He prays for those guys that even though they had a front row seat to the man named Jesus, the Son of God, they still missed it over and over and over again. And he prays for those guys. And guess what it is? He prays three things. Look at verse 11. And for time's sake, we're not going to cover all of this, but I want to point out three things about it. Look at verse 11. It says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So he prays for those apostles to have unity. He prays that they would be unified in what they believe and in what they do. A.W. Tozer he, he hit it right on the head when he says this. Have you ever, has it ever occurred to you that when 100 pianos are all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to one another, to another standard to which each one must individually bow. And so when these apostles put their eyes on Jesus and they are following him, then they will be tuned not to each other, but tuned to that one. Then they will find themselves in harmony with each other. That's why it is so dangerous to watch churches following one leader and, and one pastor that becomes the one personality because everybody tunes themselves to him Instead of looking to the one that is greater than he. So Jesus prays that these apostles, they would be united. They would be one. And then he prays in verse 15. Look what he prays. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. He doesn't ask that they would ever not face any problems or difficult situations. But how many times is that our prayer? Father, protect them, keep them from getting hurt, uh, keep them from getting into trouble, whatever it might be. But Jesus doesn't pray that they'll never face problems. He doesn't pray that they'll ever not have any difficulties. He doesn't even ask that they would never even face temptation. He prays that they would not be overtaken by the evil one. In fact, Jesus doesn't, he prays that through these storms and through the temptations and through the pains of sanctification, that they would be preserved, they would be protected, and they would be kept. Of all the things he prayed for his apostles, he prayed that they would be kept from the evil, not that they wouldn't face difficult times. Then he prays in verse 17. Look at this one. Sanctify them in truth. Set them apart. Your word is truth, he says, Father. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I dedicate myself 
that they may also be sanctified in truth. He prays for their sanctification. He prays that they would be set apart for the purpose of bringing God glory, showing how worthy He is, and helping others see that worth. That's what He wants above all things, even if it means them giving up their lives. He wants them to be used mightily in the lives of other people. So what does Jesus do? He prays that He Himself would be glorified, that He would show He he is ultimately who the Father through the cross and through His life, through His obedience to Him leaving heaven. And then He prays that that same thing would then happen through His apostles. He prays that their lives would then show who Jesus is. And then lastly, He prays for His church. You know, when I often feel defeated and feel like I've let people down or feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, This next thought is one that I try to go to time and time again to bring me some peace. Look at verse 24. I mean, this is Jesus himself, the Son of God, praying to God the Father. And he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And right there, Jesus is telling the Father, I can't wait for them to see what I am really like. Because Jesus knows you have a misguided perception of Him. He knows that we do not fully understand who He is. In fact, men that walked with Him every day for three years still did not understand who He was. And He knows this about us. But He can't wait for that day that we get to see Him perfectly. In fact, Jesus can't wait until the largest homecoming celebration that the world has ever seen. And he can't wait for it. And tell you, I have just a small picture of what this is like. I'll never forget several years ago, in January, we had traveled to Ethiopia. We had gone through that process. We had been matched, and we went to Ethiopia. And we got to meet Ophi and all her friends in the orphanage. And this was in January, and we're expecting to go back about spring break, five to six weeks. And many of you know this story, but February rolls around with a lot of expectation, a lot of excitement, and March rolls around. Still, you're excited, you're packed, you're ready, and March comes and goes. Then April, May, June, you finally start getting word what's going on. You realize that there are problems that are totally outside of your control. June passes. July. August. Now you're really starting to think, man, is this really going to happen? I mean, this child that you have given us that is ours, that we love and we're ready to bring home, is this going to ever happen? September. And all your paperwork is about to expire. And you're really at this place to go, we may have to start over. And I'll never forget that there was a man that I've never met. He doesn't know me, and I don't know him. But he is a worship leader in the Austin Stone churches in the Austin area. They were going through something similar several years ago. 
They were adopting a boy through Haiti, and it took about two years. And before they were going to travel over, the earthquakes hit and completely devastate that country. Their little boy's name was Amos, and Aaron Ivey is the man that was the songwriter, worship leader, and he tells the story that they'd heard that he'd finally made it to Atlanta. They get on a plane and they fly from Atlanta to, or from Houston to Atlanta, and they get to the airport, and they said, I, we know he's on the other side of this wall, this door in customs. And because of the way Haiti was rocked and paperwork and all of that, and even some illegal things that were going on, they won't let Amos through the wall. They will not open that door to let mom and dad get to Amos. And so he said, here we are. We are so close. And he says, I don't know what it was, but somehow I was able to lay down and I just went to sleep. He says, I don't know if that was God comforting me. I don't even know. Maybe that was me trusting in that there's nothing else I can do, but only God can work in this. He said, I heard a rustle, and he woke up, and there was a man there, tapped him on the shoulder and said, I need you and your wife to come back with me. He says, we're not for sure what's going to happen, and we walked through this door into another room, and we sat there, and he says, it seems like eternity. He says, we don't know what they're about to do. We don't know if they're about to walk through that door with Amos, and we don't know if they're about to tell us we're sorry, but he's going to have to go back. He said, that door opened, and in walks them carrying this little boy named Amos. Through this struggle, they wrote a song called The Amos Story, and I encourage you to go YouTube and type in Amos Story just to watch. They've even got actual footage of this going on, but he wrote these lines. I'll find a way to get you here if it takes my fleeting breath. Another sunrise hits the ground, and it's a dark, lonely sight. Light years away, I hope you know there is somebody searching for the way to get you here. I will get you here. And Jesus is saying that there is a one day coming, there is a homecoming celebration that this world has never seen. And Jesus can't wait for you to see who he really is in all of his glory. And this is the high priestly prayer, Jesus praying to the Father. So how does this encourage us this morning as we stand between these two sanctifying pillars of marriage and parenting? Well, we stand between these two, I think, great instruments of sanctification. We stand between them. They are used to move us into a greater Christ-likeness. And these two things can be filled with great joy and happiness, but they can also feel like we're walking through a minefield, being placed in that pressure cooker, or even run through that old-timey clothes wringer. The two great instruments that God uses to expose our sin and the sin of others. But it also gives us opportunity to show grace and not law. It gives us ways to practice love and forgiveness. But I know we can often feel discouraged and let down and humiliated. And that there is, we are nothing but failures when it comes to marriage and parenting. But today I want you to know, I want you to believe something that you have the greatest supporter in your corner. 
In those moments of despair and frustration and failure, Jesus is still fighting for you. So today and every day, you know what he's praying? He's praying for oneness and unity with you and your spouse and your children. So when you feel like you're miles away from your husband or wife, and you feel like your children are on a different planet than you are, and you don't even understand the language they are speaking, he's praying for your unity. You know what he does? He also prays for your protection in this world, that Jesus does not want you to hide from the world and all the dangers that are in it, Yes, the world is changing and marriages are constantly being attacked and children are being exposed to greater sin, it seems like. And Jesus is praying not that you would be taken out of the world, but that you and your marriage and your children will be protected. But then he prays for your sanctification in you and in your marriage and in your children, meaning that Christ is praying for you that person you're married to, that those children that are sharing your home, that they would be an example of God's love and acceptance and unconditional love and forgiveness to a world. So when your children see the disunity happening, but they see reconciliation. When your kids have friends over and they realize, wow, this home isn't perfect either, but men, they're always talking about this man Jesus, or when you have people into your home, Jesus wants and he's praying that your marriage and in your parenting, it would be part of your sanctification, that it would be used to show who he really is. And then here's the best part. There will be wonderful moments, and there will be many, many, many moments in marriage and in parenting that will cause you to lose hope. You will ask, is this all worth it? And you will even wonder how much more pain and disappointment you can actually handle. But through all of this, Jesus is praying for you. And He will never let you go. And while He is praying, He is looking forward to the day that He's going to see you and you will get to see Him in all of His glory. And nothing or no one is going to keep you from Him. And that moment right there, that's why you're married, and that's why you're parents. Is that God is in the process of transforming you into the likeness of His Son, and He uses marriage, and He uses parenting, and He even uses singleness. And He uses all of this, the good moments and the difficult ones, to prepare us for that greatest homecoming that the world has ever seen. And so I pray today that you will be encouraged, that you will be energized even greater to pursue these sanctification tools in your life. And the next week, come and join us as we start three weeks at that other sanctification tool called parenting. Let me pray. Father, this morning, we thank you on this Memorial Day Sunday. We're thankful for men and women that years ago and even up until the last few days, men and women that have given their lives so that we enjoy so many freedoms here. But Father, also in these moments as we remember, we should remember that you sent the greatest of warriors. You sent the only one that could conquer sin and death and to set us free. That he paid the ultimate price of giving his life for us. And he did not do it just to forgive our sins, even though he did. 
But Father, he also did that so that through our marriage and through our parenting, we could become more like him. That in our marriages and in our parenting, we are to learn to give our lives away. We are to learn to love unconditionally. We are to learn to forgive so that through our marriage and through our parenting, through all of our relationships, we show the glory of your Son to those around us. So it is in his name who sits at your right hand that we pray you would send soon. And by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.